0: Hey, Lee, what is one of the places that reminds you of your childhood? Well, you know,
1: thinking about it, I've been coming up with something. Uh, I think Chuck E. Cheese is a place that reminds me of my childhood for a couple reasons. I mean, you got the video games. I love going and playing those those games for the tickets. And then I give them to my daughter. Right. Um, But the other reason is the pizza. Right. That pizza has the perfect consistency of like a junior high, uh, a junior high cafeteria and 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 you know sometimes I need that like in my life uh, in fact I once ordered a pizza through Grubhub from Chuck E. Cheese and it was probably like 12 bucks more than it ever would have been if I just bought it at Chuck E. Cheese <laughs> but I didn't have to take my For- daughter to play the games
0: <laughs> okay like I get it it's a place where a kid can be a kid but Grubhub? Seriously?
1: yeah Grubhub it was good I loved
0: it. Dude, you you are a strange man, Lee. I don't even think well, they I don't
1: even think they knew like I, there wasn't like pizza boxes. I don't
0: think. It was like in like those old school foam boxes. Oh, wow, <laughs> dude. You're you're wild. Well, you know what? I get it though. Like we all have those places that remind us about being a kid, and today we're going to talk about a place that is very dear to me. It's a spot called Camp Grizzly just outside Harvard, Idaho. But we aren't just taking a stroll down memory lane. Oh, no, Lee. We brought an expert on the grizzly ghost stories of Camp Grizzly. (laughs) Insert groans here. Roll the tape. Back beyonders, you have found your way back to the Beyond Terrestrial Podcast. Once again, your home for the strange, the macabre, the conspiratorial, and the downright weird. I'm Dan Martson, one half of your hosting duo. Recording just down from the crossroads where Robert Johnson made his infamous deal with the devil, I am joined, as always, by one of Beyond Terrestrial's founding fathers, Mr. Lee Errett. Lee. How's it going? It is going great. I am coming to you, as always,
1: from the Bell Witches backyard in the Haunted Barn Studios. And today we've got an amazing thing going on. We have a guest, a Miss Kalila Wright, as an author, local historian, and a mom. She grew up in North Idaho and holds degrees from the University of Idaho as well as Washington State University. She has worked teaching college courses and as an economist... And lives in Dan's old hometown of Potlatch, Idaho. When she isn't working on rescuing cats, Kalila writes fiction, nonfiction, and she does some political cartooning for the Moscow Pullman Daily News, the Spokesman Review, Huckleberry's online blog, and Idaho Magazine. And today she will be regaling us with some of her tales of the hoodoos as we discuss her work. Kalila, it's great to have you on Beyond Terrestrial. Tell us a little more about yourself.
2: Hi, Dan and Lee. Um, now I have a big pause while <laughs> watching you guys um, so I, in addition to working as an economist and teaching college which I no longer do that anymore um, I have worked with the United States Census Bureau since 2012 so I literally talk to strangers for a living which is why I had absolutely no problem talking to you guys today
0: <laughs> that's awesome
1: that that's great. That's what we do too. They just don't talk back to us.
0: Now you see, I'm I'm really weird, uh, Khalila. I'm a super nerd for like statistics and the work that the Census Bureau does, um, and it's a census year. So props to you guys. Good good work.
2: Thank you. It's actually been really difficult this year because, as you know, COVID nineteen has us all in our homes, so we can't go knock on doors. <laughs> So we've been doing a lot of work by phone and it is impossible to get people to answer a phone for a strange mess, strange number. And then when they do answer, you have to convince them that you're not a scam. And then when you tell them you're the government, they still don't want to talk to you. So so it has been uh, really fun. (laughs) (laughs) That probably
1: explains why I got an uptick in um, Idaho calls from my... uh, yeah, go online to your census. <laughs> I've already done my census. I don't know why I keep getting called.
2: <laughs> we can talk about that later. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah.
0: Um I when I got mine, I was like, "Oh, I've I've I just have it in my mind that you get a form, you fill it out, you fill in the bubbles cuz that's what my parents did. That's how I thought it was going to be, but this is the 21st century. So, guys, go online, fill out your census. Otherwise, your state could be hit with a dramatic undercount, and then you're going to lose out on a whole bunch of federal money. So don't make sure you go do your census. For the, uh, for the TikTok
1: and YouTube generation, it's, your state could be demonetized.
0: <laughs> That's what they call.
2: It. More importantly, uh, for something that they might understand, is it helps determine funding for roads. So, if you would like to avoid potholes, do your census.
0: Oh yeah, for sure. Note taken. Um,
2: <laughs> Note taken. Yeah.
0: Now, okay. Now we're we're already off track because I'm such a uh, nerd, Kalila. But the topic for today is Camp Grizzly, and. I loved Camp Grizzly growing up. Uh, I lived in Potlatch, Idaho. It's only a few miles down the road. Our Boy Scout troop went there all the time. I was an Eagle Scout, no big deal. But... (laughs) um, back Back when I went, it still had the old shower house. And they hadn't updated the lodge. I just saw they updated the lodge this year in the kitchen. So they've been doing a lot of work. When I went there, it was pretty... I'm not going to say ramshackle, but it was one of the... Uh, it was kind of the red-headed stepchild of the camps in the council. How about when you were there, Kalila? Had they done any updating yet?
2: They had not. Um, we actually had to, to time when we could do showers. So for the staff area, if you were over 18 you can shower from midnight to noon and if you were under 18 you showered from noon to midnight because we all had to share one shower house
0: ooh <laughs> yeah that's that's rough I, I remember hearing stories about they had issues with the septic system and all kinds of things but they had a big donor step up I believe it was the Schweitzer family uh, who gave them like a million dollar gift and they've done a lot of work up there and it's a it's a heck of a lot nicer than it used to be
1: Schweitzer makes sense
0: yeah so that's my input. i guess <laughs> i guess the place to start um isn't with the old showers because that's not a very interesting story um but with the i guess the early frontier history of the area starting with probably one of the earliest documented residents, a Mr. John Griswold. What can you tell us about the early settlers of what would become the Camp Grizzly area?
2: John Griswold was, so far as we know, the first white settler to live on the property that is Camp Grizzly and Laird Park. He moved there prior to the 1880s. Um, He was looking to get away from civilization. It was him and his Nespierre's wife. And they settled, put in a small orchard. There's some apple trees, some plum trees. And that area where Camp Grizzly and Laird Park is, is actually known or at the time was known as Griswold Meadow. Um, but after the 1880s, gold was discovered in the river in front of his home. And he ended up disappearing. Uh, local legend was that he moved on. Uh, but knowing the greed and the um, that gold inspires and taken in conjunction with a lot of other killings in the area, it is entirely possible that John Griswold met a much darker fate.
0: Ooh. That is, that is pretty gnarly, and in those times uh, you can imagine Gold gold Rush Fever just grab a hold of guys and these later stories are gonna prove that in a very darkened Kind of sad way. Gold, gold. Now, Lee John Griswold's wife was a member of the Nez Perce tribe. Have you ever heard people who aren't from the area? A lot of them will use the French pronunciation. I hear Nez Pierce a lot. I don't think oh, that's the French
1: the... pronunciation.
0: Yeah, know, uh, in in the French, a lot of people would say ne perce."
1: Never, never heard that one. Lake Pindolet, I've heard a lot when people try to pronounce really. Pandore.
0: Yeah. Huh. <laughs> now, Kalila, there are some stories that circulate amongst the scouts about the Nez Perce tribe occupying the area, but it doesn't really seem like those stories bear out in the historical record
2: they don't one of the most common stories was one called the hand and supposedly the camp was haunted by the hand of an nez Perce warrior the hand was apparently cut off by his brother uh there's some interesting hauntings that go along with why you might think about a hand haunting um But the area wasn't actually part of the Nez Perce territory. It was sort of a no man's land. So it was the northern border for the Nez Perce, but it was the southern border for the Coeur d'Alene's. And there's another tribe that most people don't even realize existed, and that's the Palouse tribe. Uh... There are still members of the Palouse tribe that do exist. A lot of them live on the Colville Reservation now. So what we had with Camp Grizzly is sort of this no man's land. So it didn't make a lot of sense that someone of Nez Perce descent would haunt Grizzly. Unless, of course, you're counting Griswold's wife. I mean, hell hath no fury like a woman scorned, right?
0: Right, or driven off her land and a murdered husband. Oh, yeah, that makes a great ghost story.
1: Absolutely. Spookily-dookilys
0: and all. Now, I I gotta tell you, Kalita, I remember the stories of The Hand, and <laughs> they never really got me as a kid. I didn't think it was that scary, because it always made me think of the Adams Family.
2: Well, you probably didn't have a poltergeist-infested meat slicer, either.
0: <laughs> no, I never worked in the kitchen. No, uh uh-uh, I didn't. <laughs> I would go at midnight... For cereal, I would always get cereal out of the dispenser. I'd never go in the kitchen. That place is is still a mystery to me. Uh, although I've heard it was part of their updates that they just did. So. There
1: was
2: a poltergeist
1: infested meat slicer?
2: Yeah. So the kitchen at Camp Grizzly had a 1930s vintage meat slicer. And of course, the junior staff weren't allowed to use it because it didn't have a finger guard. I mean, you could just imagine all the cuts that we got from wood carving merit badge, let alone what would happen with a meat slicer. Uh, (laughs) But the thing had a short in the wiring, so the camp director says, and it would come screeching to life with nobody around it. And the uh, junior staff insisted it was the Nez Warrior coming for their hand. <laughs> Where was OSHA? <laughs> that
1: is terrifying.
0: It's, it's a non profit. It's all grandfathered in, man.
1: All uh, right, well, it uh, seems super safe. <laughs> hey, here's this unguarded I... meat slicer that
0: just turns on randomly. Like. Right. Um, the one thing I remember from the kitchen was the giant mixer this thing was massive I it must have been like a 10 gallon mixing bowl that you could put in this thing it was huge
1: oh yeah I've seen those um at like my grandparents were big into like playing at senior centers and stuff so I uh, I've seen those quite a bit actually those just gigantic mixers all right well Circling back to the talk with Kalila here, um, the next story is one that Dan remembers well from his youth and had been suggested as a topic for us before we re- read your article. This is one of the darkest local legends on the Palouse. What can you tell us about the poisoning of Strychnine Creek?
2: Well, it happened between 1885 and 1889. And that's actually how Strychnine Creek got its name. At the time, Chinese miners were not allowed to mine. There was also a head tax that they had to pay. So they were supposed to rent a claim from a miner who had moved on. And that's what they did up in Excavation Gulch. You can actually see the trailhead. There's a way to hike up in there and look at it. So we had a tongue of Chinese miners who rented the claim at Excavation Gulch and began mining it. Apparently, they had dug a ditch around the ridge from Strychnine Creek over to Excavation Gulch so that they would have water for sluicing and venture placers, things like that. And once they had water in the draw, then the claim proved to be really profitable. And that inspired jealousy, of course, from the white miners down at uh, camp Grizzly, which at the time was called Grizzly Camp. They, they inverted the name. Um, but once the bonanza was discovered, a lot of the Chinese miners would actually send the money home or save it to bring more people over, and so it wasn't flowing out at the card tables down at the camp. So in order to capture that claim for themselves or steal the gold, someone actually went up and put strychnine in the ditch that they used for cooking and bathing and all of that, and all of the miners up there died during the Strychnine Creek Massacre. They There was no, so far as we know, there was no law enforcement action taken, that people just sort of turned a blind eye to the massacre. Uh, you can see it mentioned in later newspaper articles when they talk about people coming in to jump the giant Chinese claim. So, there is some pretty interesting history up there. And if you're looking for ghosts, a whole bunch of angry Chinese men guide, guarding a bunch of gold is a good place to start. Absolutely. And that's just a
1: terrible way to um, resolve an issue. Uh, I, I can never imagine that, but I guess it was a different time. So, um, yeah. Well, hey, yeah, Dan, well... Oh, yeah. What's it? What's up, Lee? I was thinking, before we jump into the next story, why don't we take a quick break?
0: Oh, let's do it. Let's take five.
3: Believe in UFOs?
0: you had the next question? Yeah, if you were listening to our talk with Kalila, before the break we were talking about uh, the Strychnine Creek Massacre, which was a terrible poisoning of a number of Chinese miners. Um, Just for a little bit of context, Lee, there was a time where Chinese people were very strictly excluded from this country. Um, Racism against Chinese people on the West Coast It was Dramatically terrible In a way that a lot of people don't realize now
1: Yeah um, I I heard a lot of that stuff uh, And it I'm just having a hard time Wrapping my head around any sort of That kind of mindset But then I look at events today And it's the same I'm sorry
0: Right (laughs) Right. Well, I remember as a kid, though, we'd go camping up at an area called the Dredge uh, because they used to dredge gold from the river up there. Uh They had a big machine in the river scooping up all this dirt, dredging gold, sluicing it out. Um, And we'd go by Strychnine Creek every time we went. And the thought of hidden gold and dead miners and buried treasure, it has a real... Western dime novel allure. I'm going to go right (laughs) back to what I was saying. Gold. Gold. (laughs) There's gold in them there, Hills. Well, sadly, Kalila, it wasn't just gold that drove people to violence in the grizzly camp area. There are more stories in the timberland surrounding camp grizzly. The tale of the wobblies is one that actually really struck me the industrial workers of the world was a violent union around the turn of the century. And they were very active in Idaho in the early 1900s. Uh, Members of that union even assassinated a former Idaho governor. So while I had heard the stories of these violent clashes that the wobblies and the miners that they were trying to organize up in the silver Valley had I had not heard about the organizing that occurred in the lumber camps around the Camp Grizzly area. What can you tell us about that turbulent time?
2: Oh, it would have been around the time of World War I when the Wobblies were organizing. I I believe they first started in 1905, uh, but things really came to a head at World War I because they needed the lumber, especially spruce for the famed airplane, the Spruce Goose. And the Department of Defense actually sent a general up to Potlatch to meet with Allison Laird and the mill because they were having trouble meeting the production goals. Uh, so there was a huge push to keep unions out of the mills um, and out of the lumber camps so that they could keep that production as high as possible. And that prompted a lot of really harsh treatment on behalf of the mill owners for their employees. Uh, I know Allison Laird put together a bullpen out at uh, Beauville where suspected union members were taken and housed. I The th- company doctor, Frank Gibson, joked on more than one occasion that rifles were used for more than deer because suspected wobblies would be shot.
0: Wow, that is, that is intense. Um, and Way back in the day, this is like in the 6th grade at Old Potlatch Elementary, I remember we did a town history project. I think it was more with the gifted and talented program, because, you know, no big deal. I was on the fast track back in the day. But um, that's how I became a Jeopardy! Champion. Shout out to (laughs) Potlatch Elementary School. Um, But that's neither here nor there. We did this town history project. This is not something that we covered in the sixth grade, Kalila, the murder of union organizers near the town by company officials.
2: It's glossed over a lot of places. Uh, There was an incident, it's called the Beauville incident, and it resulted in strikes in lumber camps from Grangeville to Spokane, where people just walked off the job in solidarity with potlatch loggers. Um, And when you read really i don't know really scholarly sources i know keith peterson wrote about company town and he even glosses over it he just says in solidarity with the potlatch incident and never actually says what the incident was but i Mm -hmm. did find several oral histories that did talk about shooting wobblies
0: wow that's that's gnarly um I remember that Keith Peterson book, Company Town, was actually our, one of our main sources during that sixth grade project. I remember that book distinctly. And thinking of these old company executives living on Knob Hill in the nicest houses in town, looking down on the mill site, it all going camping up at what would become Laird Park and picnicking with their families. It all had this kind of very romantic 1920s kind of feel to it but you realize these guys were managing some really rough and tumble guys, loggers out there in a pretty frontier area It's a lot different than what I pictured as a kid
2: We do tend to tell our best stories about ourselves (laughs) Um, but, but when you take a look, you know, and, and wash that veneer away, sometimes you see things that you don't really want to see.
1: Well, that's kind of an example yeah. of, you know, history is written by the victors. Um, maybe not entirely, but if you really look at that, we're, we're going to paint ourselves in the best light possible um, to our children.
0: Yes. And, and the Wobblies were persecuted almost out of existence in the early 1900s. Um, In fact, the eventual president of the Wobblies was prosecuted for assassinating an Idaho governor. So, it's it's crazy. They were planting bombs. There's strikes. I mean, wow. Uh, It's something I just find so interesting because of how glossed over it is. Now, Kalila, there are a lot of other ghastly stories that are actually pretty, pretty crazy. There's a disappearance of a man who was going from Palouse to Moscow and just poof, gone, out of nowhere. Can you tell us a little bit about this story?
2: Oh, gosh. Yes, I mean, I can. But for the life of me, Lamphere, that's his name. Alan Lamphere. I was afraid I'd forgotten it. Um, So mrs lamphere his wife had gone into moscow to visit their daughter and he was supposed to go pick her up now you know palouse to moscow isn't very far and it's not in the direction of camp grizzly that's for sure and so when he did not show up mrs lamphere became very concerned and she called the sheriff i believe it was hap moody um And they sent out search parties to just drive all the roads between Moscow and Palouse to see if they could find him. And he was never, never found. Um, So since they couldn't find him, they, they put together search parties. Still nothing, nothing turned up between Moscow and Palouse at all. Fog rolled in. You know how the Palouse gets that freezing fog. And then we had some light snow. And he ended up... Well, his car ended up being found by hunters two days later up in the hoodoos. Uh, This was actually not on the Camp Grizzly side. It was over on the Emerald Creek side where they found him, but he would have driven right past Camp Grizzly to get up there. Uh, So why he went in entirely the opposite direction, no one really knows. But his car was found. One of the tires was burned off. The hunters did say that they saw his footprints going up the road for about two miles before disappearing into the snow and the brush. So they called out a search party. Mrs. Lampier offered a $1,000 reward, which back in the day would have been huge. I haven't adjusted for inflation, but, it, but quite a bit. Oh, wow. um, I think they had 400 volunteers couldn't find the man. Um, just gone. During that it was it was November, so hunting season, and about two weeks later some hunters from Genesee came out and they had sighted Mr. Lampier. He'd actually wandered through their camp. But at the time, because they were out there, you know, you didn't have cell phones, they they weren't connected, they didn't know he was a missing person. So now that they had a new lead, they went out again. Um, And the hunters said it was just very unusual circumstances. He walked out of the woods under a bright full moon. I actually went and checked the lunar calendar for that year, and it was, in fact, a bright full moon. Um, And he went straight through their camp, wouldn't acknowledge them. They were all by the fire, having coffee, getting ready to go hunt, and then into the woods again. And so they called out the search party again. Nothing, no trace of him at all. The man just disappeared. And... Five years later, somebody found a skull and some other human remains outside of Beauville, and it turned out to be Mr. Lamphere. And no one knows why he headed that direction. He was considered a respectable businessman. He was a banker in Palouse. There was no reason for it. It's just one of those mysteries of the hoodoos.
0: That is a wild story, Lee. Lee what I know there are a lot of other crazy UFO conspiracy stories out there. This is stuff that you're more into. Does this remind you of any of those tales that that we've delved into or um, you've heard others It reminds
1: about? me of a couple of them um, one would be potentially uh, maybe maybe something like what people call time slips a time slip is essentially, Kind of what it sounds like, like you're just traveling along and then uh, you look around and you're in a completely different time than you were before. Um, and that's traveling back in time or forward in time. But another one that I think is the most accurate is what is referred to as um, in a book called Missing 411. Um, in that book by David Pilates, um we've done a show on one of his things, uh, he discusses. Um, all of the different um, people that, that go missing in national parks. And what he discovered when he started re- or doing the research was that there was no database of people that were missing from national parks. Now, there was missing persons databases, but they were all separated. And none of them had been used, like, nobody had put the, the numbers together on national park disappearances And it turns out there's a lot of them Like uh, just a ton of people just disappearing Or children disappearing From a national park and then showing up uh, Sometimes Still alive sometimes dead or sometimes You know no longer alive Uh, But in places That don't make sense uh, A six year old child traveling Eighteen hundred feet up the side of a Mountain doesn't make sense For that to happen Um, But there's no sign of like major injuries uh usually they die of things like exposure or something like that which sounds similar to to this scenario the question is how did he end up there how did he travel i'm trying to do the math in my head i lived in uh in northern idaho for a little while i'm trying to how far would he have traveled from where his vehicle was abandoned to just outside of you said bullville
2: yeah, it was, it was well, I think it was 4 miles outside of Beauville, is what they said. And
0: ooh, all the way from Palouse, that's a that's a good stretch. That's at least what 40 miles?
2: Well, his car miles? was found up by Emerald Creek. So he would have been closer to Beauville there, but that's rough country. I mean, you would have been walking through creeks and mountains and heavy terrain with snow on the ground. So it, mm-hmm. it was a considerable distance to travel from Emerald Creek all the way over to Beauville.
0: Yeah. Right. Yeah, so and, the, to... and the roads back there are pretty rough now. Mm-hmm. I mean, could you imagine in a 1950s automobile in even rougher roads? Well, almost.
2: his remains weren't found anywhere near the automobile. That's, that's the interesting thing is that he got out and he walked Four miles through the snow, um, yeah. and we don't know why he drove, you know, clear up and over the Palouse divide and in Emerald, Emerald Creek. Let alone why he left his car and just kept walking. Uh, it's it's a very interesting situation.
1: It reminds wow. me a little bit of uh, I I was listening to a recent uh, episode of a podcast I listened to, um, the Yuba City uh, Five, and it was five. Uh, semi-mentally disabled men um, that were in like a work group but they were they were capable of taking care of themselves they just lived at home with their parents and they uh, they drove their car up at the side of a mountain abandoned the car they weren't found for months later and uh, then their their remains were found uh, like, like it was you know at, through the winter and into summer was when their remains were finally found so
0: Right. You know, another story that reminds me of Lee is one I was just suggested by a listener today. Shout out to Joshua Hedges. The Diatlov Pass incident.
1: Absolutely. I was a just about to say that one.
0: Mm-hmm. Go out into the wilderness and something happens, something that no one can explain. I don't know what it is about these remote areas, Lee. There's something that drives people to do things that can't be explained later on. And because they are the only ones out there and there's no one else to see what happens when they eventually succumb to the elements, there's no explanation for what happened. Only they know what was going on and the the facts have died with them. I, I have a theory and I hope I don't
1: scare Kalila off with this, but I theorize that one of two things uh, when you look at da- or when you look at the missing four one one cases, a lot of them correspond with large uh, cave networks throughout the uh, United States, um, which is one thing. The other one, uh, yeah, some people would say UFOs. I think I think it's Bigfoot.
2: <laughs> there yeah. are a few tales of Bigfoot in the Palouse. Oh, we're getting to those questions for oh, you in a moment.
0: <laughs> boy. Okay, okay. Well, no, that's that's actually really cool I I don't know. I don't remember. Kalila, do you know about any cave systems up in the Palouse Divide area? I don't think I can think of any. Maybe some old mines or something like that, but nothing too extensive.
2: No, there aren't any caves, so far as I'm aware. Uh, and a lot of the mining was actually panning or placering. There are very few tunnel mines in the Palouse.
0: Yeah. Yeah, well, let's uh, let's turn a little bit from some of these serious topics, Kalila. That way, we can get to Lee's uh, big Bigfoot finale. But we want to talk about some of the smaller stories. In fact, maybe some of the ones that you invented for campers up at Camp Grizzly. Some of the uh, tales that uh, kids tell up there. Uh, you you wrote about one that you created a. Uh, a jilted
2: bride can you tell us about how that story came about so the year i worked at camp we actually had a cougar on camp um fishing game thought it was possibly a young one uh, are you guys familiar with 3d archery at all a little bit. Okay, so for 3D archery, you go out and you walk a course and you shoot a target, and and it's not a paper target; it's a foam deer or a foam turkey, right? It's something that looks like it. And the cougar we had on camp was going through our 3D archery courses, treating those foam deer like gigantic cat toys and just shredding them. <laughs> and so you'd go out there and there'd be like deer heads and deer legs and, and turkey pieces, and it was just absolutely amazing. And as fun as that was to think we had a cougar playing with cat toys out on the 3D archery course, we were afraid that the scouts might get injured. Uh, you know, boys like to tell ghost stories. They like to dare each other. And the last thing we wanted was somebody to dare their camp tent mate to go walk the 3D archery course alone at night and end up being the cougar's next cat toy. So yeah. <laughs> so we... In, or I... I invented the trail of the Honor honor Trail Ghost. Um, I'm not sure how many people are familiar with the Honor Trail, but it was something that they did on Wednesday night. You walk the old Hoodoo Trail, and you get bits of camp history, points of the Scout Law, other things. And so we called it the Honor Trail. Um, But because it had that connection to the old Hoodoo Trail, I thought that was a great place to go for a ghost story. And so in my story, which was entirely fiction, um, I had a woman whose betrothed was Potlatch Logger Co- Logging Company's uh, doctor, and he had gone out on the hoodoo trail because there was an accident and somebody needed to be saved in some way. I don't know. We never got into what the accident was, um, <laughs> but... If you are familiar of what's called widowmakers, trees that just lean unnecessarily. So in the the hoodoo story, uh, this doctor succumbed to a widowmaker, like he was killed on his way to saving this this logger in this logging camp accident. And since it was his wedding day, like the bride is like pacing up and down at the church, right? She's like, "Where is he? He would be here." <laughs> well, we'll just go. We'll go to the camp and on the way they see him dead and she just goes crazy like she gets an axe from the logging camp because she's gonna you know chop up the tree and get him out from under there and of course he's dead and she just goes crazy and she runs off never to be seen again <laughs> so in order to really bring that point home i had not terribly recently but recently enough that it didn't bother me but had a wedding dress And I put that puppy on and grabbed an axe and went screaming through camp every Monday night all summer long.
0: (laughs) Oh, my gosh. That's perfect.
2: Yes.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That is so cool. I I love some of the stuff that we used to do up at camp. Um, You know, Friday night campfire was always like the the highlight of the week. I love Friday Night Campfire. I love the skits. I love how it winds down as the fire gets low. Um, the Honor Trail was always great on Wednesdays too. The flag retirement ceremonies that they would do were always really cool. So it, anytime you get a chance to go up the Hoodoo Trail to the, to the Fire Bowl there at Camp Grizzly, it's actually a pretty good time.
1: Meanwhile, I was stuck at church camp. Um, so that was fun. <laughs> you,
0: you guys didn't do anything fun like that?
1: Uh, no. I mean, I remember some fun things, uh, but the, the biggest memory I've got out of the whole experience is probably when the bus, like, trans- I'm, m- with my knowledge now, I'm pretty sure it was the transmission that blew out on it while it was going up a hill. Um, we were going to some, like, I think it was a water, like, not a water park, but like, you know, a hot spring kind of thing. And we're going over this uh-huh. pass and, and loud banging sound. And then the bus loses all power. And I just remember because I was, uh, I don't know, like nine years old or something like that. And, and what I and the person that I am, I cream we're all going to die. And I got in <laughs> so much
0: trouble. <laughs> uh oh man that is great no i remember one of the years i was at camp we had an exchange scout i know this is kind of crazy is like an exchange student he was from taiwan we called him charlie because no one could pronounce his chinese name (laughs) Uh, that's uh um, what what that kind of racist people do (laughs) No, 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 no. That happens all the time, Lee. Um, uh, K- Kalila knows if you go to a university that has a lot of Chinese exchange students and TAs, a lot of them will give you an English name. They'll say, oh, my name's Sarah, even though they have a Chinese name because no one can actually pronounce. No, no Chinese
1: that's name. not but what anyways. I'm saying. I'm saying but the Charlie name Charlie in
2: Vietnam? What was that? charlie and the viet Cong, and yeah no he was chinese
0: it's close well he was taiwanese so that's that's no it's well well he's not taiwanese he's chinese ethnically because taiwan was part of China, but it doesn't matter (laughs) Um, anyways moving on he was we we took a drive out to the um to the b-17 bomber trail there was a B-17 bomber that crashed in the woods uh, not too far from Camp Grizzly, up around the Great White Pine campground up there, and they, the government came in and buried it because this was in the 40s when it crashed, and all the technology inside that plane was top secret. So there's a trail that goes around there now, and you can't take any artifacts or anything. It's all very historic, and... First-year scouts would go on a hike uh, with the commissioners at the camp up to that B-17 trail every year. And Charlie loved it. He was taking pictures of the trees along the side of the road as we're driving. And people said, Charlie, what are you taking pictures of? They're just trees next to the road. He goes, oh, no, no, no. In Taiwan, they cut the trees back, you know. Fifty meters or something like that from the road so he was fascinated that the trees were right by the road and took a ton of pictures and he was a really cool guy he taught us some sweet knots
1: That that's actually kind of a smart idea like less accidents involving cars running into trees if they're not so close to the road just saying <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah, speaking of true. hiking in trees did you ever hike up to the pea tree
0: to the pea tree yes no
2: Oh, my God. So, yeah, there's a snag up on the ridge, and uh, you're supposed to hike up there, pee on the tree, and then carve your initials.
0: Oh, my goodness. I, I missed out on this tale. No, oh, yeah. I never did that.
2: My initials and the initials of both of my boys and our troop number are on the pee tree.
0: <laughs> wow. <laughs> Oh my goodness, that is classic. Um, no, I love I some of these hikes we took. Um, the astronomy hike is always a good one. You hike up to that Minden's Meadow at night, look at the stars, real pretty spot. So there's, there's so much great stuff out there around Camp Grizzly. And that's why Allison Laird and all these company executives loved it for years and years. And why they preserved it and gifted it to the forest service and boy scouts and it's just a really really cool spot. Now, Kalila, I have to turn it over to Lee because he has some very pressing questions about a certain hairy hominid. But firstly, we should take a quick break.
1: Yeah. Let's take a quick break. We'll be right back after a word from our friends at 4th Hand
3: Evening, ma'am. Hey, y'all. What can I do you for? Can I have a glass of Chardonnay? I'm sorry, darling. We don't serve that here. Any Merlot? I'm pretty sure you don't want these feet going nowhere near them grapes. All righty. How about a craft beer? Oh, yeah. We got plenty of craft beer. Which one you want? No, not craft beer. Craft beer. Oh, hell no. I'm, I'm pretty sure the bar down the street serves that. Okay, well, what do you serve? I'm glad you asked. Welcome to the Backwoods Barcast. We serve up moonshine, cheap beer, bottom shelf liquor, and stories even harder to swallow. Join Nick... And Brittany... And the janitor, Stephen, as we discuss southeastern mysteries and mayhem, including but not limited to UFOs, true crime, the paranormal, and much more. So knock four times, grab a stool, let the bar talk commence, and as always drink more beer
1: and we're
0: back guys this is it this is what you've been listening for Lee hit us
1: okay Kalila I need you to be completely honest with me here I'm getting very serious right now. Um, Even though it sounds like I'm being sarcastic, I'm being very serious. Uh, (laughs) Have you ever had an encounter yourself with a hairy hominid known as Bigfoot? I am
2: am probably the only person who has a picture of Bigfoot poop. You have a picture of Bigfoot poop? Well, I don't know anybody with a degree in non humor non-human primate scat but uh i ran into something and it left a big pile and i wasn't gonna take it back with me so i took a picture (laughs) (laughs) that's awesome
1: that is amazing that is amazing um so let's talk more about this scat i guess (laughs) Well, so it wasn't like it wasn't like it wasn't like bear scat, it was definitely something more humanoid like.
2: Well, I'm not an expert in primate scat either. Okay. But it it wasn't bear, you know, it wasn't this soft black piles full of seeds that I and I'd seen bear scat. There'd been coyote scat on the trail that I was hiking. I knew moose scat, right? This wasn't it. I'd never seen poop like this before. I'm sorry. <laughs> See, that's what I was kind of trying to get at, by
1: the way. Like, because I figured you would have known what Bear Scat would have at least, like, looked like for the most part. So, that is awesome. And, you know, Bigfoot's got to poop somewhere. He's got he's to gotta go. Um, now, he could nice. be going in his interdimensional household, but you never know. Like,
0: <laughs> <laughs> Oh, my goodness. Now, Kalila, there was kind of a... There was kind of a Bigfoot boom around Potlatch a couple years ago. Uh, what was the story? A lady coming from Tensed said thought she saw Bigfoot chasing a deer. Or oh, yeah. Or she saw Bigfoot and was looking away from the road and hit a deer, I think is actually what happened.
2: Um, is
0: is Bigfoot fever still embracing our, our small
2: town? Absolutely. If you haven't been there recently, they have a Bigfoot statue in front of the grocery store and he is presently wearing a mask. It's not an N95, but they've got him covered. <laughs> That's awesome. That's
0: amazing. Oh. oh, I love it. That is excellent. I love it. You know, if, if the high school mascot wasn't so entrenched as the loggers, I would seriously think about a petition to change it maybe maybe the elementary school or something could change it wouldn't that be fun
2: oh yeah I'd love to see the elementary school little I don't know what we would call them though little feet (laughs) Ooh, that's perfect (laughs) little feet
0: (laughs) (laughs) that'd be so cute Uh, little big feet
1: I love the idea of Bigfoot and I personally believe that there's something out there there's something that people are seeing I don't know what it is uh, my personal thought process is probably something interdimensional because there's never any like this is the first time I've ever heard of scat being left behind it's always just been footprints um, so I, I love that so that's all uh,
2: There, <laughs> there's footprints there's trackways um, I know Jeff Meldrum has also been working on hair samples um, and he's actually he had a I, I interviewed Jeff Meldrum who is a professor at idaho state university and he was an anthropologist with the idaho museum um but he's working on a drone project to actually do flyovers to see the if he can find areas of sasquatch activity
1: that's a that's a great idea and i know i know about uh, mr meldrum or jeff meldrum because uh he's got one of the biggest uh biggest collection of bigfoot feet casts in the world essentially um He's also considered wow. an expert in it, I guess.
2: Yeah, that's really cool. His his feet cast are actually called. I think the the Virtual Footprint Library. Um, and he's been doing it for quite a year. He has a book out, Sasquatch Legend to Beat Science. I think it's is the title.
1: Okay.
0: We'll check it out. Well, that that might be that might be a whole another show right there, Lee. I, uh, I um, agree. Well, and actually, they did an episode of finding Bigfoot out around Moscow, up on Moscow Mountain, so not too far away from the Camp Grizzly area.
2: No. Uh, They did, um, but the interesting thing is they weren't really going where people had claimed they had saw Bigfoot, so it was like they were setting themselves up to fail.
0: Oh... See, I never got a chance to sit down and watch it. Where did they end up going? They just go up the mountain to, like, the Cedar Grove and some of those pretty spots up there where you get a good view of town?
2: Yeah, they went up Moscow Mountain, but, you know, when we're talking about, you know, the lady who saw it in a field between Tinsit and Potlatch, that's, you know, completely different area. Um, out by Little Boulder, completely different area. So, mm-hmm. who knows? Of course, you won't tune in for the next episode if they find him. That's
1: a fair point. That's an absolute fair
2: point. The
1: thing with with finding Bigfoot is it's almost like they think it's a joke themselves in some cases. Like, Bobo just kills me. I I hope he's serious, but oh my goodness.
0: (laughs) Well, well, Lee, you know how it is. Sometimes you don't get everything right on the first take. You got to do it over again. It kind of becomes... I don't know, kind of a joke, especially reality TV's all, yeah, fake. all fake. But, but but you are right. If they actually found
1: Bigfoot, nobody be tuning in next season. <laughs> that's why they haven't found the <laughs> well, uh, the treasure on Oak Island, and they'll never find anything at Skinwalker Ranch. That and there's not probably not anything at Skinwalker Ranch. But moving on.
0: Yeah. <laughs> well, well, who knows? Maybe one day they will find the haunted Chinese gold stash of Strychnine Creek. Ooh. And that'll be another story. Yes. So, Kalila, I love sharing these stories of potlatch. It's time as a company town and some of the forgotten history of the settlement of that area and the early days of the logging camps up there and honestly one of the best places ever camp grizzly um where it's for the boys and i loved my time as a boy scout it was a very big part of my formative years i don't think there's anything like scouting for kids out there you just can't compare it to other programs it's totally different Kalilo, what are some of your thoughts on scouting and Camp Grizzly as we uh, wrap up our interview?
2: Well, I mean, you already know both my boys were scouts, and it was a program that they enjoyed immensely. Um, Our troop was a very active troop. We hiked and camped all 12 months of the year, and it gets you out of the house and able to unplug and to connect in ways that you can't do over Zoom or Skype and I think a lot of us are learning that right now I know the more I've been stuck at home the more I want to go out in the trees
0: yes for sure and now we have armed our listeners with a slew of ghost stories from one of our favorite spots Lee
1: I I feel put on a spot right now I don't know what I'm supposed to say
0: <laughs> oh no! I thought you were. Po- I, I I thought you were pointing at yourself that you wanted to say no, something. No, I was I'm scratching sorry. my beard. <laughs> oh, <laughs> okay, my bad. Um, that might stay in. <laughs> yeah. Well, Kalila, we have had a blast talking about murderous history, campfire tales, cryptids, all this cool stuff. Where can people find more of? Your work. Do you have anything you want to plug?
2: Well, they can find it on my website, www.kalilarite.com. You're going to have to spell that for them. Um, also, like you mentioned, Idaho Magazine. You can find some of my articles there. And if you are particularly interested in Camp Grizzly history, connect with the Laytaw County Historical Society. I have done stories on the Camp Grizzly history in both of their last two editions of the Laytaw Legacy.
0: Really cool. We will have to put links in the show notes. I will remember to do that. Guys, if you want to connect with us at Beyond Terrestrial, you can find all of our episodes at our website, BeyondTerrestrial.com, all the major podcatchers. And as always, we'd like you to keep looking out for more tales from out there. Beyond terrestrial.
1: Thank you for listening to Beyond Terrestrial Podcast. You can check us out on Apple Pod, Google Play, and other major podcast
0: platforms. And if you want to keep up with the show goings on, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at Beyond T Pod. That's Beyond the Letter T Pod.
1: And as always, you can get all of that information as well as show notes and episodes as they come out on beyondterrestrial.com that's
0: right we got the dot com and if you want to help out the show give us five stars on apple podcasts or a like and a review wherever you listen to beyond terrestrial you've been listening to a fourth hand
2: joint
1: Welcome to Beyond Terrestrial. You're home for the strange, the macabre, the conspiratorial, and the downright weird. I'm Lee coming to you from the Bell Witch's backyard in the Haunted Barn Studios, and Dan is just down the road from where Robert Johnson made his infamous... Infamous.
2: Holy shit. Talk about your all-time backfires.
1: And Dan is just down the road where Robert Johnson made his infamous.
2: Ah, yeah, fuck it, dude. Let's go bold.
1: Dan, where are you from today?
0: <laughs> I am recording just down from the crossroads where Robert Johnson made his infamous deal with the devil, Lee.
1: There's the word I was looking for. You're gonna be awkward. Um... I'm sorry, but I think we're going to have to start that intro all over again.
0: (laughs) That's okay. Take it from the top.
1: Welcome back, Beyonders. I'm Lee, coming to you from the Bell Witch's backyard in the Haunted Barn Studios. And Dan, as always, is coming to you from just down from the crossroads where Robert Johnson... (laughs) Dan is coming to you from just down from the coast. Oh, my God.
0: What in the hell's the matter with you?
1: Dan, will you just do the intro? <laughs> okay,
0: I got it. I got it. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's okay. Hold on. <clears throat> Welcome back, Beyonders. You have found your way back to the Beyond Terrestrial Podcast. Once again, your home for the strange, the macabre, the conspiratorial, and the downright weird... I'm Dan Martson, one half of your hosting duo. I'm recording from the. Oh, now you got me going.
2: <laughs> hey, it's Paige
0: DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag? Say hello to Quince.